Can you believe it's the first Sunday in February? Where did January go, right? Time does go by. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 this morning. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. While you're finding that, a couple of things. One, we had a great turnout on Wednesday night for our first Bible study back in the cafeteria after several weeks. And we encourage you to keep coming out on Wednesday night to our Bible study. I think it's a way, again, to strengthen us as believers in the days in which we live. And last week we looked at the marks of the last days. And today, or this coming Wednesday, we're going to look at the marks of godly believers and how we should live in the last days. So we hope that many of you will avail yourself of Wednesday night, 7 o'clock over in the cafeteria. Also, we've had many new people coming to the Oasis, and we just want to use the month of February to sort of give an invitation and an offer. And this is really for anybody here, but especially for new folks, that sometime in March, uh, some Saturday night in March, we would like to, uh, meaning I guess Lisa and I, the pastor and his wife, we would like to get together with you in a home here in Chandler and Gilbert and uh, just allow you to get to know us a little bit better, to ask any questions of us about us or uh, the church or our background and all of that kind of stuff. We think it's important that people that come to a local church get to know their pastor and his wife and have interaction and that we make ourselves accessible. And so uh, we want you to be able to do that. So if you're interested in uh, spending uh, an evening uh, fellowship with some other new folks at the Oasis, but also getting to know us a little bit better and allowing us to get to know you, uh, please email us at the email address on our business card. Or if you know my wife, Lisa, just go right up to her and say, we want in. And she'll know what you're talking about. All right. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 6. Today, we are going to pursue the theme of faith. A theme that Mark sort of introduced us to last week in our study of Mark chapter 5. You remember that when the disciples were, you know, terrified that they were going to die on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat and they woke him up and said, you know, don't you care that we're about ready to die? And Jesus' statement to them was, and you still don't have faith in me, you still don't believe. So, you know, there's that seed. And then over in the story of Jesus uh, healing the woman with the hemorrhage of of blood, that, that Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then we saw that the man Jairus, whose daughter, 12 year old daughter, He summoned Jesus to come to his house and to heal her. That the Bible said as they were on their way to the house, that there was this delegation from Jairus' household who came up to Jairus and Jesus and, and said, well, you know, don't bother coming. She's already died. And Jesus turned to Jairus and he said, do not be afraid, but keep or continue believing in me. And then he went in and He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. So even last week, we began to see sort of the 
the issue of faith and the importance of faith. And that's what now uh, Mark wants to really drill into today in Mark chapter 6. So Mark shares with us in this chapter five scenes, each highlighting a different dimension, if you will, of faith. The first one we come to in Mark chapter 6, in the first six verses, I would entitle the deficiency of faith. The deficiency of faith. Because the Bible says that after Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he proceeded to go back to his hometown. To be amongst his family, his relatives, and those that grew up with him. His, in a sense, childhood friends. Those that knew Jesus best from the time he was a little child. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus got back to his hometown, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue and he began to teach. And then Mark records these questions that came from those that knew him best. And these questions were not inquiring, wanting to know type of questions. These questions had an edge to them, if you read the passage. They were questions of unbelief and questions of hostility. In fact, the Bible even goes on to say that they judged Jesus unfavorably. In the Net Bible, it says they took offense at him. It simply means that they concluded that he wasn't who he's claiming to be, And they judged Jesus unfavorably. And then the Bible makes a fascinating statement. Mark records that because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith in Jesus, that Jesus only did a few what we would call minor miracles in his own hometown. And then he left and began to preach around surrounding cities. A couple then of important things for us from that passage on the deficiency of faith. And that is that we must be careful not to limit the work of God in our midst. What God wants to do in and through our lives as individuals and in and through our lives as a church because of unbelief. Because Jesus will not do great, extraordinary, unprecedented things. He will not do supernatural works and and miracles in a group of people that have no confidence or faith or belief in Him. As we saw last week, He put out everyone who scoffed and scorned at who He was and the ability that He had before He raised Jairus' daughter, only in front of Peter, James, John, and Jairus and his wife. Think about it. Think about what Jesus wanted to do in his own hometown. And it also then reminds us that we must not let these spiritual opportunities that we are given in this life to slip through our fingers. Think about what Jesus would have done in his own hometown. The great, extraordinary 
you know, miracles and the teaching that he would have done and the revelation that he would have done and how he would have poured himself into those people if they would have believed in him, but their faith was deficient. And therefore, Jesus moved on. I think here at the Oasis, and I'll just apply it to us, although, again, we can apply these principles to us individually as well. I think, again, we are in a defining year in our church's history, in a defining moment, where God wants to build the faith of us right here, right now, and to get us to a place where he can do amazing, extraordinary, unprecedented things. Where he can perform supernatural things and do miracles and stuff in our midst and through us. But he's looking for people who believe. Who believe in him. And who do not limit the work of God in their midst because of their unbelief. Because that's the only thing in our lives as individuals. And that's the only thing in our life as a church that will limit what God can do. And that is our unbelief. It's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the children of Israel never really possessed the promised land. It wasn't because God didn't want to give it to them. He did. It was because they did not enter, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, because of their unbelief. They limited what God could do because they didn't believe. And my concern is that we as a people might not see all that God wants to do in and through us as we move towards the future of this church because we simply don't have the faith and confidence and belief in Jesus that we could or should. May we not be a people of deficient faith. I think about again how that would have, in this situation, Broken the heart of Jesus. How he so wanted to do so many great things. And if any place in his own hometown. How he wanted to bless those people. How he wanted again to reveal all that he was. And all that he could do through them. But they didn't believe in him. Reminds me of how heartbroken Jesus was when he stood over the city of Jerusalem. And said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I wanted To gather you into myself like a hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't. You didn't want me. And doesn't it remind you, if you take your mind back for just a moment to the passage last week. And I didn't really hit on this last week. But it's always amazed me that after Jesus cast the demons out of this man in Gadara. The Bible says the entire town came out to see what was going on. Jesus made a stir. And after they heard what happened and they saw the man finally sitting in his right mind and having this peace of mind that he hadn't had for a long time in his life, you know what the Bible says they did? They asked Jesus to leave. Wait a minute. Let me get this right. All Jesus has done is come into this place and made it better. He healed a man who had been possessed by devils for many, many years. This man who had been, you know, 
out of his mind and, and confused and had a life of chaos and was out of control and was committing all this self-destructive behavior. Now he's at peace and you're asking Jesus to leave? Yeah. That's what deficient faith does. Why? Because sometimes the misery and the pain and the confusion and the chaos that we know to us is better still than the unknown that we could have with Jesus. Because we don't know where Jesus is going to take us. We don't know the changes and all of that that Jesus is going to do. So we still cling to what we know, even though we're unsettled, we're unsatisfied. Because I at least know this pain. I I at least know this misery. If I trust myself to Jesus, I don't know where he's going to take me. And so we say bye to Jesus. I'd rather stay in what I know, even if it's misery, than to go with Jesus to some place that could be better, but it's unknown to me. That's the way many even Christians live their lives. Because of their deficient faith. They limit what Jesus wants to do. Well, we move from this scene of deficient faith to sort of a more positive scene. Where in verse 7, we begin to see the duplication of faith that Jesus wants to bring about in our lives. You see that because the Bible says that after, obviously, Jesus called his followers to be with him, then after a time of training and growing them, he was always going to send them out as his representatives into the world. He wants us to duplicate our faith in him into other people's lives. He wants us to represent him to others. That's why the Bible calls us ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so Jesus sent them out two by two. He gave them and trained them with the ability to be able to preach and teach his word, to cast out demons, to heal people, basically to minister and serve in his name and for his glory. But he also told them this. He said, as you go, take nothing with you. Trust me to provide what you need as you go. And know this, that there will be some who could care less about what you bring. Some who will not, you know, be open to what you have for them. It's okay. Don't force anything. Shake the dust off of your feet in that place and go on and move to somewhere else. Don't keep beating your head against the wall with those who don't want what you have to share. Spend your time focusing on those that are open and receptive to the message. Jesus did that, obviously, in his own hometown. He didn't just stay there and just try to force himself on those people that didn't believe in him. He moved on and went to those that were more open and receptive to his ministry and to his person. So in this passage, I see a couple things again that I think greatly apply to us. One, 
We are to take Jesus to others. But notice something. As we take Jesus to others, we are also to take Jesus with others. Notice how Jesus sent out his followers. Two by two. He never expected any of us who follow him to be out there trying to minister and serve and and meet the challenges of of living by ourselves on our own. It was always have a partner, have a companion in ministry, have somebody alongside of you that you can share the burdens with. And that as you get rejected, you can still mutually encourage and support and, and refresh and help one another. Don't be out there trying to serve me and minister to me and duplicate your faith in others on your own. Yes, take me to others, but always take me with others as well. In fact, it is in those dynamics that God even then duplicates our faith within each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've ever had partners in ministry and and companions in serving the Lord, you know that you each, as the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, iron sharpens iron. How you each mutually strengthen and encourage and help one another along the way. This is the way God designed it. This is part of how he duplicates our faith in others. But the other principle I see here when Jesus says, don't take anything with you, is this. God wants us, as we duplicate this faith, to model it. To basically say, I trust God in your provision in power as I go. And can I say, that's why so many Christians today have never really seen God show up in miraculous, supernatural ways in their life. Because they won't go and they won't take a step in their life unless they got it all figured out first. They won't take a step in their life unless they're in control. So the thought of them going in the name of Jesus to minister and serve for him, but to trust that God will show up when God needs to, and God will provide what I need when I need it, and God will give me the power to do it when he's called me to do it. No thanks, God. I need to have it all figured out. Before I take one step, I got to see 10 steps ahead of me then can I tell you, you will never see God truly show up like God wants to in your life. Because God wants us to even model to others that we are trusting God as we go. We don't have this all figured out. Can I tell you, I, I, I blew a couple of local pastors' minds here in the Phoenix area, you know, even in the start of the Oasis and in the first couple of years of that, because, you know, they're these big sort of... Uh, managing pastors, what I call it, and they've got their 10-year plans and their 20-year plans, and they've got this all figured out. And they would come to me and say, well, what's your plan for the Oasis? I said, I don't have one. I'm just following Jesus every day. What do you mean you don't have a plan? I said, I don't have a plan. I said, I'm just going to keep following Jesus. Wherever Jesus takes the Oasis, that's where we'll go. We'll just keep following him. Really? Yeah. Because I don't want to have it all figured out 
First of all, I can't figure it out. And so often, even in our individual lives, we try to figure it out and think we've got it all figured out. And then God throws something in there. "Ah, See, you don't have it all figured out. Because I want you to trust me that I will provide and I will provide for you and I will give you everything you need and I will be there and I will show up in ways that you could never imagine. You got to trust me. And then finally, like I said, we've got to expect rejection. Again, so much we miss out on as Christians because we've got to, as we go, make sure that everyone's going to like us and everyone's going to receive us and everyone's going to welcome us with open arms. And God says, no, most of the people that you reach out to probably will never accept, but that's not what I ask of you. I just ask you to go. It's just like inviting people to church. You might have to actually invite 10 people before you even get one to go, well, I might come with you some Sunday. But see, some, most Christians don't even get to that point because after they've asked one and they turned them down, then they stop asking. And Jesus says, you're missing out because there could be a few people out there. If you just keep going and trusting me and letting me duplicate my faith in others through you, what could happen? Because that one individual that eventually says yes, you just never know how I could use them. Don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up just because people don't want what you have and what I have. Keep going. And realizing that we need to duplicate our faith. Well then, because I I couldn't remember all this, Beginning in verse 14, you have sort of this, again, Mark's good at this. He'll, he'll start a story and then he'll get sidetracked. Any of you ever do that when you're conversation? Well, then you'll be able to relate with Mark really well in heaven, okay? Because talk about spaghetti. You know, he goes over here and he starts talking about Jesus sending the disciples out. And, oh, now we're back to Herod and how John the Baptist died. That, that's the way Mark is. But anyway, so beginning in verse 14, we see the duration of faith. Because Mark now spends this sort of passage here until the disciples get back from their ministry tour on talking to us about how John the Baptist became a martyr. How he got his head lopped off for Jesus, basically. And he does it because, again, it is part of this theme of faith. Because, see, to Mark... It is very important that our faith endure, that our faith lasts, that you and I, like John the Baptist, embrace God's will for our life rather than our own plans. I'm sure when John the Baptist was a young man, his dream in life wasn't to get his head chopped off one day for Jesus. But John the Baptist will be forever honored throughout eternity because it wasn't how long John lived. It was how he lived while he was alive. And Jesus wants us to get that kind of mindset. It's not how long our earthly life is. It's what we do with our earthly life while we're here. And for John, John is a great example to us of the duration of faith. That he wasn't one that 
that just started well. He was one that ended well. He was one that remained committed, devoted, and faithful to Jesus and to the cause of Christ up until the very end of his life. And we're not going to go into all the sordid details about how all this happened. You can read it for yourself. But it is very interesting to me that in the Gospel of Mark, Mark spends five verses, five verses on the ministry of John the Baptist. Spends 14 verses on how he died. Why? Because again, to Mark... Especially here talking about faith, it's very important that he emphasize we need to end well. Not all of us had great starts in our life. Not all of us may have even had great starts in our Christian life, in our spiritual walk. Be encouraged. From God's perspective, it's not as important how we start the race as it is how we finish the race. And John the Baptist is a great example of someone who, like Paul, finished the race well. Who said, I'm not just in this for the short term. I'm in this for the long haul. And I'm going to do everything I can in my life to keep myself spiritually strong so that I can sustain my commitment, my devotion, and my faithfulness to Jesus Christ over my entire lifetime. The duration of faith. Then, in verse 45, or I'm sorry, verse 30, begins another section where we see the development of faith. Because Mark tells us that after the disciples come back from their ministry tour, they're all excited. They want to tell Jesus everything that went on. Not that Jesus already didn't know, but, you know, it was cool. They, hey, they were passionate, you know. And I love what Jesus does, though. It's not that he doesn't want to hear. He, he does. He will listen to, again, all the things that happen. But you know what he says to them? He says, okay, you've been out there ministering for a while. Now let's come away and let's rest for a while. Literally in the Greek, let's be refreshed. See, God says it's very important that we learn to be refreshed in our life as believers. That we can't always be out there, you know, Because we cannot keep up that high level of serving him and ministering for him without taking moments of refreshment in our life. Some of you right now, you are suffering in your life spiritually, emotionally, and physically because it's been a long time since you have been refreshed. And Jesus would say to you, Come away with me to an isolated place and rest a while. Pause long enough to get yourself built back up spiritually and get yourself in a healthy place spiritually and then let's get back to it again. But after that, the Bible says that Jesus at this point was so popular that the crowds just kept following him. 
And they wouldn't let him and his disciples alone. And, you know, in a sense, that's a good thing. They wanted more of Jesus. They didn't necessarily yet know him, because even the disciples didn't really know him yet. But they, they saw something in him that they still wanted to pursue. And Jesus was okay with that because the Bible said he had compassion on these thousands of people that were following him. Because he said when he saw them, he saw them as a as sheep without a shepherd. They really didn't know where they were going and what they were doing in life. And he needed to bring some clarity out of their confusion. And they needed a leader, someone that they could trust and believe in and count on. And he knew he could provide that for them. So the Bible says that he began to teach these thousands of people. And it got on to evening time. And obviously people start getting hungry. And so the disciples start thinking amongst themselves, man, you know, we need to send these people away. Let's go to Jesus and tell him, uh, Jesus, you need to wrap up your sermon because we need to get these people out of here so that they can get to the surrounding towns and all that and, and buy some provisions for themselves. And the Bible says, Jesus turned to his disciples and says, you give them something to eat. What? There's thousands of people here, Jesus. In fact, in verse 44, it says there were 5,000 men that were fed by Jesus by the five loaves and two fishes. 5,000 men. So it's really not the feeding of the 5,000, as we say many times, even amongst us as Christians. You count women and children in there, it could have been 10, it could have been 15, it could have been 20,000 total people that Jesus fed that day. And the disciples are going, you're crazy, Jesus. We we don't have enough money to feed all these people, even if we went into surrounding towns ourselves. And then Jesus says, what do you have? What do you have? Well, after taking inventory, we got five loaves and two fishes. And I'm sure they were just thinking, this is crazy, right? But see, Jesus wanted to take this moment with his followers to develop their faith. How does Jesus develop our faith? He develops our faith faith first by commanding us to do what is beyond our means to do. That's how he develops our faith. See, if you and I live our Christian life with Jesus... And all we are ever involved in are the things that you and I can do on our own, without God's help, without God's strength, without God's wisdom. If all we ever do in our life are the things that you and I could accomplish on our own apart from God, then our faith is never developed. Our faith never grows. The way our faith as a church and the way our faith as individuals grows and develops is when we are willing to take on something that is beyond us, bigger than us, greater than us, something that you and I can't wrap our minds around because then we've got to trust God. We know there's no way we can do this on our own. And that's when faith can begin to grow in our lives. You'll also see another way Jesus develops faith here. By creating much from little. Jesus is the master at using little to create much. But he wants to develop that kind of mindset in his followers. Where again, we don't come to God and go, Well, God, I'm not going to do anything because I don't have this great big thing to offer you. 
God's never been like that. And God never asks us as a church or as individuals to look outside of ourselves for resources that we don't have. All God asks of us individually and as a church is give me what you have and then watch me work. Watch me multiply. Watch me take this little band of believers in the Chandler Gilbert area called the Oasis and watch me. Little creates much when it's in the hands of Jesus. Some of you here today, you've never really allowed Jesus to work in and through you because you determine by looking at your own life, I don't have much to offer God. Great, that's perfect. That's just what Jesus is looking for. Give him whatever little you got and watch him begin to work. I mean, think of it. Five little loaves of bread. Those nice, sweet Hawaiian rolls. No, no, I'm sorry. sorry. I digress. I digress. Those, Those little loaves. They weren't, listen, they weren't big loaves like this. That little boy had in his lunch little loaves of bread, about like that, five of those, and two fish. And Jesus fed thousands of people that day. There's another way that Jesus is developing faith here. He asks his followers, his disciples, to look out for others first. And then trust me to look out for you. Because Jesus said, now I want you as I multiply this, to feed them first. You make sure that they're fed. And you trust me, there'll be enough left over for you after it's all over. And you know the cool story, if you read it? The Bible says after all these thousands of people were stuffed, they ate as much as they could. They were done. It wasn't like Jesus just gave them a little bit and said, okay, you got to get by with that. These people... I can only imagine what that was like. You know. And yet the Bible says after all these thousands of people ate, I can only imagine how much food that was. The Bible says there were 12 baskets full left over. One for each disciple. Showing them, reminding them, I'll take care of you. I won't let you starve. You follow me, you serve me, you look out for others first, and I'll always be there to look out for you. No wonder David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because if we have the faith to follow Jesus and to serve him and look out for others first, Jesus will always make sure we are looked out after. The problem is, as we saw Wednesday night, we live in a society, in a world, and even amongst the church today, of self-centeredness and selfishness, where people are only looking out for themselves. And Jesus calls us to a higher life than that. He calls us to a life where we are developing our faith in Him. A life that doesn't look out for us first, but looks out for others first, and trusts Jesus to meet our needs. And again, if we never live that way, we will never see the supernatural, miraculous, unprecedented, incredible things that God could do for us in our life if we just trusted Him. The final dimension of faith this morning 
begins in verse 45. Where again, Jesus is talking here about the direction of our faith. The direction of our faith. And like many other times in the Gospels, he tells his disciples, look, I'll stay behind. I'll disperse these thousands of people after they've completely are done. You go ahead, get in the boat, get out of here, start sailing across the Sea of Galilee. I'll catch up with you. And the Bible then said, after Jesus dispersed the crowds, he went up into the mountain to pray and to be with his father and to commune with him. But as he was there, supernaturally, the Bible says that Jesus could see what was happening on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. Once again, even though they were following Jesus, there was this wind that was against them. And they were struggling, the Bible says, and Jesus could see it. They were struggling to row. Again, we are reminded that just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean that the winds aren't going to be against us. Doesn't mean we're not going to face storms. We will. But it also means Jesus sees and knows what's going on. And so the Bible said that he left the mountain and he supernaturally appeared to them on the water, walking to them on the water. And you can imagine, the Bible says the storm and the wind was still going on. So it wasn't like Jesus calmed everything down for him to walk on the water towards the disciples in his boat. I mean, the wind was it, but there's Jesus, this model of stability and stuff, or the rock Jesus is. It's like the storms are going around. There's Jesus, just steady right on the water. And he's walking on the water. And the Bible says when the disciples saw this figure coming towards them on the water, said they thought it was a ghost. They didn't even think it was Jesus. It didn't even enter their mind. After all that they had been through, they still doubted. And the Bible says that he was going to pass by. Now this doesn't mean what it might seem like it means in English, like he was just going to go by the boat as they were struggling, go na 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 na. No. The words speak about revealing himself to them. It's what he did to Moses when Moses passed by, if you will. It was a way of communicating who he really was to them. He again wanted to direct their faith to him. So the Bible says when he gets close enough to them and they're all thinking it's a ghost, he says to them, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And the Bible says, then he got up into the boat and then the wind ceased. And of course, the Bible says they were all like, oh, what just happened here? And you know the incredible thing the Bible says right after that? The reason they reacted that way is because they never got what happened with the loaves and the fishes because their hearts were hardened. The disciples had all these great experiences with God, but they never gleaned from them and got out of them what they should to propel themselves forward in their life spiritually and to understand Christ in a greater way because of their lack of receptivity in their heart, which we talked about several weeks ago. But here's what I see in this final passage this morning. Jesus will always seek to redirect our faith to him. And Jesus will always reassure us that any faith that we place in him is never misplaced. We can trust him.
We can believe in him. We can have confidence in each and every situation that we're going through in life. So today, we have explored this theme of faith. We've seen deficient faith. We've seen the duplication of faith, the duration of faith, the development of faith, and the direction of faith. And here's what God would say to all of us today. Because there's not a one of us here this morning, not a one of us here this morning, that there's not something in our life right now, some situation, some circumstance, something going on in our life right now that we don't need to be trusting God for or trusting God in. All of us have something in our life right now that God is saying to us, trust me with this. Trust me in this. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. That's what God wants to share with us today. Don't don't run away. Don't be put to flight. That's what the word afraid means, by the way. You think of the fight or flight mechanism that we talk about today in our society that God sort of built in within all of us. That's what the word afraid means in the original language. Don't run away from something. Face it. Have courage. Deal with it. Jesus is saying today, I don't know what you're, or I'm saying today, I don't know what each of you are dealing with, what, what situation or circumstance in your life right now you need to trust Jesus for, but I am saying this, as God says to me, trust me in this. Trust me in this. Let's all redirect our faith back towards Jesus. And let's not, like the people of his own hometown, his own relatives, his own childhood friends. Let's not let these opportunities slip through our fingers. Let's not limit the work that God wants to do at the Oasis and in our lives slip through our fingers simply because we did not believe in Jesus. But let's redirect our faith back to him. Let's stand and close in prayer. The Bible says that after Jesus' hometown rejected him and did not believe, the Bible says that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. He literally shook his head and could not believe that in spite of all the adequate evidence that had been given to them, they still didn't trust him. God, I pray today that in spite of all the adequate evidence that you've given us in our lives and even in the life of our church, God, we still wouldn't believe in you. We still wouldn't have confidence in you. We still wouldn't trust you to leave it all in your hands and give it all to you. God, I don't know what each of these folks here today, what they need to give you right now, what they need to trust you in and trust you for, but I know that there's not a one of us here that doesn't have some area of our life, something, God, that you are calling us to trust you in. You are saying to us what you said to your own disciples, have courage. It is I, be not afraid. God, use these last few moments we have together with you today 
to really instill in us that faith. Help us, Lord, even this morning maybe to commit ourselves to have our faith developed and grow more. Whatever that looks like in our life, God. May you do the work that you want to do in our lives right now. And may we not limit you in what you want to do because of our unbelief. Help us to trust you, God, as we sing a song that says, only Jesus, only Jesus. These things we pray in your name. Amen.